It was a lot quieter last night. <laughs> the, re the refined bunch were in last night. Right, we're continuing with our mini-series on identity and purpose, and it's important <laughs> that we live out of our identity, our true identity. So the passage I'm going to start off with today is Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, which says in the NIV, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But I particularly like the mirror Bible version of these few verses, which says, Your salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It was a grace thing from start to finish. You had no hand in it. Even the gift to believe simply reflects his faith. If this could be accomplished through any action of yours, then there would be ground for boasting. We are engineered by his design. He molded and manufactured us in Christ. We are his workmanship, his poetry. We are fully fit to do good equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness in us in everything we do. Well, we've had an interesting few months, haven't we? And America has a new president-elect, the 70-year-old billionaire Donald J. Trump. Now, automatically, in me saying that, you will have had a reaction to that, depending on where you sit, okay? Alice nearly fell off her chair last night when I mentioned it. <laughs> and social media has been boiling over since the result of the election. There are strong opinions among Christians in both camps. Divisive. Even in the UK too, some of the stuff that has been said by Christians to Christians has been incredible. The lack of love that has been shown by Christians to other Christians just because people have shared or dared to share a different perspective on what they understand is happening has been ridiculous you know it's easy to love people who share your opinion the real test of love is where you can love people not tolerate them but you can love people who don't share your opinion it's interesting when you dig a little deeper to see that 81% of American evangelical Christians and the majority of Catholics voted for Trump Right? From Billy Graham to Bill Johnson. Or you could put it the other way around. You could say they didn't want to vote for Clinton. Because that's the other perspective. Now Trump's failings and shortcomings have been very apparent. Been all over the news, the locker room talk. Clintons are there if you want to dig. 
Her failings are less obvious, but they still exist. Both of these people are flawed people. We're all flawed people in many ways. The secular media gave Trump no chance of being elected. But many respected prophetic voices saw and welcomed the outcome of the election. One well-known American Christian summed it up like this. God can work through a Samson, but he cannot use a Jezebel. There is some really strong opinion going on. There's some, and in many ways, we don't quite know what's going on, but it is inter- we cannot judge it from where we are. We cannot judge it. And it's, the world will watch and the world will wait and see what the outcome will be. But as Brits, very often we are puzzled by American culture. I mean, they're big and they're brash and they've got amazing teeth. <laughs> you can tell an American, just, get, just have a look at their teeth. They're often amazed at just how bad our teeth are. They've got some cracking teeth. So we don't fully understand them and they really don't fully understand us either. I mean, for example, the word Trump. (laughs) Has a well-known slang meaning to us, which is totally lost on Americans. Totally. We had Margaret sat on the back last night. Do you know Margaret, the one that danced around with Charlie when he was here? She was sat on the back last night. And over coffee, as I sat at the back with her, she's American, by the way, she turned to me and said, So what does Trump mean? (laughs) So, as best I could, (laughs) to describe to this elderly lady what Trump meant, and I delicately expressed it, and she nearly fell off her seat laughing. (laughs) And she said, I'm gonna tell all my friends. She voted for Clinton. But that's the thing about your culture. You grow up in your culture and you're unaware that it is your culture, it's just life. And it's not really until you go somewhere else or somewhere else comes to you that you understand or appreciate some of the clash of culture. We usually accept, we cherish our culture. We don't often challenge it, it's who we are. It's who we are as people. And historically, there's been many impacts upon British culture. And one example is the teaching of ancient Greece. The teaching of ancient Greece has had an amazing impact on British culture and the way that you take and the way that you think and the way that you were educated. And yet probably most of us are oblivious of this fact, totally oblivious. It's heavily influenced our education, our government, things like democracy, philosophy, art, architecture, science, even the Olympics, Olympic sport, all of this was birthed or shaped by Greek thinking. Now, the reason I'm stressing this, it's important we appreciate this or begin to appreciate this because Greek thinking has also had an influence on how we read the Bible and understand the Bible. Because Christianity and scripture generally are best understood by a Hebrew or an Eastern mindset. That's how it was written. 
That's, if you want to understand it, you have to get behind that type of thinking. Greek thinking about what we believe can actually rob us of what God wants us to know about experiencing him. And even more, it can reduce divine truth to just mere religion. Because Greek thinking, it's called du excuse me, dualism, separates sacred life from so-called secular life. It puts everything in boxes. There's this division between the spiritual and the non-spiritual. And the result has been a view that faith is essentially a private matter. That salvation is really just merely a ticket for you to escape hell. Or that the goal of human life is to die and just get out of this imperfect world. But with a Hebrew mindset and with an understanding of what Father God really wants, he wants his kingdom to be flowing through all of our life with no separation. That our life is not separated in that way, but it is a whole. And we are to bring the kingdom of God into everything, everything that we do. Also to the Greek mind, information is knowledge. Knowing about things, the accumulation of facts and concepts. But within Hebrew thinking, to really know something, you have to experience it firsthand. Now there comes the rub. That's a big difference. That is an important difference. Because godly knowledge, therefore, comes not through memorizing scripture, doesn't come through reading certain theologians and understanding how they tick and appreciating it. All good stuff. Godly knowledge, therefore, comes through spiritual encounter. And that's why what I'm doing right now is one of the most dangerous things that happens in the church. Sermons can be so dangerous. So, so dangerous. Because very often they are simply a sharing of information. Somebody stands up and for 40 minutes or 30 minutes or 15 minutes if you're in the Anglican church, they just share information. Most of which is forgotten the next day anyway. But when we listen to a sermon, I mean the poor ones either bore us silly, but then we've always got our smartphone and we can pretend we're reading scripture when we're probably on some app. <laughs> the better ones tickle our ears where we think, oh that's something, that's new, that's something interesting. Or you agree with what's being said or you disagree with what's being said. But all the time words and knowledge are stored up here in our mind. But if it only remains as information stored in our mind, it becomes very dangerous because we end up deluding and misleading ourselves. We settle for second-hand knowledge and we miss the fruit and transformation that comes through experience. But then perhaps, in our heart of hearts, we prefer to accumulate information in our minds because then what we do is we filter it through our accumulated theological understanding. We've all got a, a theological position, right? You may think that you're not theological, but you all believe certain things about God. It's what you feel happy about. It's, it's what rests easy with you, you see. 
And therefore, when you hear things, like you're listening to me talking now, you are actually self-consciously judging what I'm saying and thinking, I either agree with that or I disagree with that. And you decide, as we receive information, to either accept or reject what we're hearing. And that's the way we take. It makes you the judge of everything that you receive into yourself. Now, in contrast, if we receive revelation, truth, unfiltered and raw, just like good honey should be, if we receive that into our open heart, God's transforming word impacts us. It has creative power. It can do nothing other than impact us. And it seeks to birth change, response, and action. We do ourselves a total disservice by filtering out what God wants to speak into our heart. But that's what we do. That's what we do, partly because we have this little mesh that we've built up, you know, to protect ourselves. Because we're fearful. If we let, the, if we let God loose on us, we just don't know what he would do. But it is true, if we receive the unsifted, raw word of God into our heart, it will transform us completely and utterly. So saying amen or good word to a sermon content is just not enough. We need to receive truth as revelation. We need to learn to listen with our spirit, not with our ears. And then by receiving this revelation truth and by using it and outworking it, we plant it in our heart and that brings about transformation in our life. And the more revelation we receive, the more we are responsible to outwork that truth in our life. Because everything that God speaks to you into your life is intended to bear fruit. He doesn't just have a little chat, you know. Everything, the very nature of God's word as he speaks into your life is, in, is there to bear fruit in your life. It is to change and transform you. We have to allow God that access into our heart and into our spirit. God wants us to use that revelation, not just retain it as head knowledge, because head knowledge very quickly becomes religious nonsense. There's a well-known passage in Matthew which Jesus tells this story about the wise and the foolish builders. This is what it says in the message version of that. It says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. There are many, many Christians who are trying to live godly lives. 
in their own effort, within their framework of do's and don'ts, goods and bads. You know, that mental checklist that you can suddenly accumulate so that when something happens and you assess, should I be doing this or shouldn't I be doing this? Is this good or is this bad? It's, what, it's called legalism, it's called religion. But there are so many Christians who are trying to live their life that way. And many have been hit by the storms of life and their foundations have been found to be inadequate. And sadly, their life just collapses around them. I mean, in the story that Jesus uses, I like to think that both those houses that were built looked exactly the same from the outside. A bit like when you go down these new council houses, you know, where you think that, you know, there's a box and there's another box and there's another box, and they're all built to a pattern, and they're all the same. And here were these two houses, and they were built by the builders, and they were both the same, and everybody would have looked at them and thought, don't they look great? And that's just like Christians. Many Christians, you can, their lives look great from the outside. And it's only when trouble hits that it lets you know how good your foundations are and whether your life is actually going to stand up. The transformation that God desires each of us to experience cannot be accomplished with a little bit of Bible knowledge and plenty of determination. Our Christian walk is a journey of change. And for some that means change equals uncertainty, which equals fear. But it is. The Christian walk is a life of change. We have to grasp that. We have to understand that. We have to know that. As we open our hearts to receive truth from God, He transforms us on this journey by His grace and by his supernatural power from the inside out. That's how he does it, that's how he works. This change is not something we can do in our own strength from the outside in. Although we often try. The truth that you really know is the truth that you have experienced. Now, that's worth stopping and considering that. Because we fill our head with so much knowledge that we think we know more than we really do. The truth that you really know is the truth that you have experienced firsthand. Any head knowledge you have is mere clutter unless it aids this growth in experience. And we've got an awful lot of clutter. <laughs> Christians are really, really, really good at clutter accumulation. Another way of putting it is only doing it is doing it. I wonder where that comes from. Talking about it isn't doing it. Ranting on Facebook about it isn't doing it. Only doing it is doing it. Only experiencing what God has for you is experiencing it. Truth that is outworked in your life, truth that is planted in your heart and not your head, expresses itself in your character and your conduct. It shows in your life. It shows to everyone around you. You're a walking billboard. Revelation truth changes how we live, what we do, who we say, what we are. What we say, who we are. 
In the Ephesian scripture passage we read earlier, it says that we are, we are his workmanship, his poetry, his creation. Now some of us probably think we're more of a limerick than an ode, right? I finished the one that I, didn't, that I started last night. There was a young lad from Walker who with girls was a real sweet talker. He joined a church to conduct some research and ended up marrying a corker. But with all good limericks, there's always an alternative last line. <laughs> there was a young lad from Walker who with girls was a real sweet talker. He joined a church to conduct some research and was arrested for being a stalker. <laughs> but it's great, we are his poetry. We are his poetry, his creation. Something totally new in Christ. We're not our old nature, cleaned up, reconditioned and improved. We're not like that, no. We are restored to our original intended condition. Come on. Come on. Which is how Adam would have been if he had never ever sinned. Now there's something for you to meditate upon. How Adam would have been if he'd never sinned. That's what we are restored as by God. We have to submit to God's grace and power and allow ourselves to be changed and transformed from ever-increasing glory to glory. Now, something I shared last night, which some of you may not know about, is that we are employing cleaners in this church building for the first time ever. For many years, it's just been the toil of a few and now we're paying somebody else to do it. And on Monday, they are coming into this building to do an initial deep clean, right? They're gonna clean this building and get it to a standard that they're happy with, and then when they come every week after that, they will keep it, hopefully, to that standard, okay? They do a lot of churches, and when I was talking to them, they said, do you want us to come at the end of the week so it's nice and clean? for the services at the weekend. And I said, no, no. I need you to come on a Monday to clean them after that lot. <laughs> so they've trodden carpet, cake into the carpet, you know, and there's crumbs and there's glitter all over the place. We need you to redeem the place after they've been in, not make it nice for them before they come in. <laughs> so that's why they're gonna come on a Monday. But when we were talking about what needed to happen, they produced a work schedule which listed all the things that needed doing. I mean, we, we had a list anyway that we used to follow ourselves, but, but they produced this schedule of work that needed to be done. And as I was preparing this, I thought, I believe that Father God wants each of us to embrace his deep clean of our lives as well. So if you're up for it, and if you no longer want to partner with Greek thinking, and if you want to embrace revelation and transformation, I want you to stand and we're going to say a simple prayer. <coughs> Put your hand on your heart. 
and then repeat after me. <coughs> Father God, Father God, I open my spirit, I open my spirit and I receive your revelation truth, receive your revelation truth to, take root in my heart, to take root in my heart. Renew my mind. Renew my mind heal my emotions. Restore my, conscience, restore my conscience, cleanse my imagination, cleanse my imagination direct, my will, direct my will, manifest your kingdom rule, manifest your kingdom rule through me to the world around me, transform me into the image of Jesus from the inside out. Amen.